right. Welcome, everyone. This is another episode of That Record Got Me High. I'm your host, Rob Elba. As always, it's wonderful having you all here with me. Hey, real quick, do me a favor. If you're a regular listener of the show, if you've been listening for a while now, or just maybe a new listener and you say, hey, man, I like this guy. I like what he's doing. Consider uh, becoming a patron of the show. It's real easy. For as little as $2 a month that you could help support me and the show, I'd really appreciate it. You just got to go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. You could become a patron. You could participate in our patron curated episodes. It's a lot of fun. So consider it. All right. That's it. Uh, My guest today is a musician from the UK. He zoomed in from the UK to talk about, this is something I love, talking about a record and band that I knew nothing about before this. I totally just discovered them, and they're great, and the record's great. I think so, my opinion. I think it's going to be divisive, a bit divisive, because I don't know if everyone's going to love it, but uh, his name is Richard Farnell, is my guest, zooming in from the UK, and it was a lot of fun, and it was a lot of fun discovering this band and this record, and I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Richard. So you're in Manchester? Manchester, yeah. I'm from Sheffield. Okay. So I mean, I'm, I'm actually from Sheffield, but I've been here for ooh, 1995 I moved here, so a long time now. Oh, okay. And uh, you're a bass player, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, see, I am. I see a couple of bands: the Sun Charms and the Screen Prince. Yeah, that's right. Um, Sun Charms are still going. Same lineup since We've managed to keep that one together. Although having about 16 years off somewhere in the middle, right. you know, that helped. <laughs> that's great, so, though. Uh, that, that's awesome. Yeah. I did. I mean, if you're, when you played with people, even when you're younger, like if everyone's still alive and able, that's awesome to oh, get yeah. back together again. It right? is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It is. So, uh, yeah, we enjoy that. We put out uh, a few albums. We had some EPs in the 90s and we did appeal session and bits like that. Oh, nice. But we never hit the big time. Well, you know, that's uh, like 99% of all the musicians we know. That's just the way it goes. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> Usually happier. I know a few that kind of did hit the big time, and they're not necessarily happier. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> they're miser- Most of them are kind of miserable, so what are you going to do? Yeah. All right. So... I'm yeah, I'm really I'm excited to talk about this band and this record because once again uh, a guest has brought someone that that was never on my radar before. Did not know about them at all. So first of all, what are we talking about? What's the band that's out? We're talking about Cardiacs and uh, the album is A Little Man in a House and the Whole World Window. Yeah. Now the the first thing I was thinking is when I do when I do things like this that are you know uh, relatively obscure but they also i imagine the fans that they do have are like real fans real hardcore fans so it, these oh, are the yeah. things that make me nervous because these are the things where people are gonna go <laughs> that oh you fucked that up or they, they don't yeah. know what they're talking about <laughs> well me too this makes me nervous because i know when i share this to the rest of the fan group and the fan facebook page and so on they'll probably listen with uh, forensic detail. Yeah. So if I mess up any details, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it in the neck. Well, it's on <laughs> you, just so everyone knows that uh, yeah. Richard did admit it, that it's on him, because I'm brand new to this. But 
That's fine. So uh, how far in are, are you with Cardiacs? Like, when did they come across your radar? Ooh, well, I used to watch a show called The Tube, which was on Channel 4 in the 80s. And uh, my brother made many Betamax tapes of this show. And I, when he moved away, I inherited his tapes and went through them. So I started to tape my own episodes and the tube was still on at this point. So I weaned myself on things like Smiths and R.E.M. and Buscadoo and Violent Femmes and all sorts of different alternative bands. And one week I was watching it and luckily at the same time taping it. And uh, suddenly this video came on for this band Cardiacs who I'd never heard of uh, with this song Tard and Feather. one of their more extreme and more manic songs and uh, I was just blown away I mean initially I was kind of you know I was 17 I think and at that age you're kind of getting into absurdist humor a bit and Monty Python and things like that right and at first I was thinking oh this is funny I can't wait to show my mates but by about halfway through I thought nah this isn't just wacky and funny and strange this is musically really interesting. So I kept playing playing it back afterwards. I played it about five times in a row. And then soon as possible, a couple of days later, I was down the record shop looking for anything Cardiacs I could find. And luckily, I found the EP with Tard and Feathered on it. And uh, that was my introduction, basically. And then I went backwards and then forwards trying to get everything else as it came out. Right. So what year was this? What year was this? This was in April 1987. Oh, okay. So, I mean, the this one we're talking about, A Little Man and a House in the Whole World Window, came out in 88. So you discovered right. them and then yeah. this came out right... Oh, wow. That's Yeah, that's so cool. I discovered them when, at that point, they only had one, a couple of very old cassettes of very early albums, uh, which you could only buy at gigs. Right. Uh, and... Uh, and so I hadn't heard those. And the only other things they had out was an EP called Seaside Treats and um, this Big Ship EP, which had Tad and Feathered on. And I bought Big Ship. Then about six months later, I stumbled across Seaside Treats. to the band I started to write to the band and they sent me a, um, a tape of Seaside Treats they made a film you can find that on YouTube it's extremely entertaining viewing and uh, yeah they were great they were really good to their fans they had this thing called the Use Letter Family and it was all about you as a fan and uh, they would send you things and open an envelope and confetti would come out because all their shows they had like confetti cannons and right you know, things like that. It was a real party atmosphere. Although I didn't see them myself until April the 23rd, 1988, on the tour for this album that we're chatting about. Oh, wow. They just they just didn't come to Sheffield. They just weren't in Sheffield. You know, as far as I know, they only played Sheffield twice. Oh, okay. And I was still young and relatively naive at this point. And uh, I, it never occurred to me that I could hop on a coach and go down to London and see them play, which they seem to play London all the time. Right. But living up in the north, you're going to get a band coming through maybe once a year, you know? Oh, okay. 
Yeah, that's funny. Sometimes I forget people, I guess people here in America, we hear uh, British bands in the UK and we just think, oh, well, everyone in England, you know, must see Ooh. them and like that. But yeah, it, it's, it's really not to like you that. guys, walking, walking the length of Britain's like popping to the corner shop. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, to me, no, I didn't start traveling further afield to gigs till probably end of 88, 89, maybe. Right. Okay, so you, so I, I feel like in a way you discovered them uh, for this type of band at the perfect time, at the perfect age, because like you said, you were uh, yeah. seventeen. You were just that's when you get into like absurdist humor and everything, and you could get that because something about them. I imagine some people who were older and were already into music discover them if they're they're an easy band in a way to uh, dismiss because which a lot of people did at the time when this came out it didn't get you know necessarily great reviews all around because people just said oh they're you know it's like uh, you know, and and the kiss of death then at the time, you know, was Prague. Anything Prague was Absolutely, like. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was why I had an advantage being young. See, Prague to me, I had a book of Roger Dean fantasy art images, and I knew the names of bands like Gentle Giant and and Yes and things right. through that. Right. But I'd never heard the music. It just wasn't there. Yeah. You know, me, I was weaned on punk and new wave, and you know, so I had right, like you know. XTC, Skids, bands like that I was really into, but Adam and the Ants and so on. So uh, it was kind of prog was only on my radar as something that people's older cousins or, or uncles listened to. Right. You know? So in fact, bizarrely, it probably wasn't until the internet came along and I started to search up Cardiacs related things that I saw prog even mentioned as a connection to them in any way. Right. Um, and I've since learned that Tim Smith, the main guy in the band, he was a fan of things like Van der Graaff Generator and uh, Slap Happy. Oh. He used to wear fedoras, but now he spots a face. There's cabalistic innuendos, he's in everything he says. Sucking on a cigarette, picking up the threads. Underneath the Casablanca moon. Uh, maybe the slightly more obscure or less commercial end of prog. Right. Um, but that, that to me, in in Sheffield in 1987, that just wasn't there. That wasn't even a reference point for me. Right. 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 Yeah. So they are all right. So uh, basically, they were formed in '77 and originally Cardiac yeah. Arrest. Right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Tim Smith and yeah. then became Cardiacs. And yeah, they they were noted. They had their, these com- complex and very intense. Um, you know, uh, chaotic in a way composition, but chaotic and controlled at the same time. That's the one thing that's, that's right. impressive to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is it. It's even the, even through the chaos, or what seems seems to be chaos. Every song is made up of lots of small songs within songs or tunes within tunes. Right. Part of the complexity of that thing, part of his genius, and I would I would use that word in Tim Smith's case, is. He actually composed the songs on a, on musical score paper before. It's not like a band that meets up in a rehearsal room and starts jamming. It starts jamming out, and right. Come up with a song. <laughs> he actually had these things going around in his head, put them down on paper as a score, and took them to the band and was like, okay, this is how the saxophone goes, this is the guitar part, this is the bass, and so on. The must, I mean, the musicians, after all, there must have been some you would think toing and throwing of like who's playing what and maybe maybe Sarah the saxophonist might have come up with a line and gone how about this 
But the main crux of it, as far as I understand, is that he actually wrote it all in advance. And I think when you see his music written down on a score, it's pretty impressive. It's like, you know, it's kind oh, of... Oh, God, yeah. I, I, it's like an indie alternative punky proggy Mozart, really, you know. Right, and, right, uh, right, right. And, and uh, yeah, and I guess I was reading, uh, they've been hailed as an influence by really diverse, but like Blur and Faith No yeah. More... Radiohead have all uh, cited them as influences. And I would say for someone coming into it, I was thinking just for the uh, theatricality of it and the uh, schizophrenia, for lack of a better term, of the music, you could draw comparisons. I was thinking like Sparks. I was thinking Oingo Boingo, Zappa. Obviously a lot of Zappa, right? Those could all be like... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They they are mentioned. Yeah, I think they were influences... um, Another an, another one. I think an American version, if you like, in terms of the cult following and the uniqueness, you've got the residents and Diva. The two names that really stick out to me as being they've got their own thing going on, their own little world, they have obsessive fans, and they they kind of build a whole world around themselves. In fact, one of the songs on this album, R.E.S., um, it's loosely based. The the riff is based on a, an, a residence track, and that's why it's called R.E.S. Ah, it's the okay, first three okay. letters of residence. Yeah, I was so ask you, you may have spotted that anyway. Um, but yeah, it's the act of being polite by the residents is an influence for R.E.S. So there's definitely that. That's nice. Right. Yeah, I was able. That's the one good thing about a band like this because they do have their following and their fans. There's a you could actually find a lot of things, a lot of you know people discussing the songs and discussing theories on it and everything, which is great. One thing also that I was uh, appreciated. You know, appreciated because now I have this whole thing with Spotify where my podcast is not Spotify, but this album's not on Spotify either. It's no, not. They, they took theirs off a, a long while ago. They only had it on for about three, four months, something like that. Ah, okay. But so, uh, at least here, I don't know there, but Bandcamp, you could find everything. All their stuff is on Bandcamp yeah. and that's where I got it. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. Yeah, that's, that's, the, same, that's the same here. Yeah. They, oh, great. They've always been a cottage industry, the Alphabet Business Concern. That's their label, and uh, they always talked about it in a almost like it's run like some kind of shadowy secret sect that control the band and force them to do things. Right, right. So, I, yeah. I was reading. It's that. almost like yeah. So it's almost like they're they're being punished in some way by having to appear on stage dressed <laughs> as like. Uh, you know, uh, Salvation Army zombies or something. Right, right. And and yeah, and that's one thing great. Uh, obviously, aside from the music and the musicianship and all that, they, they do have a, a really uh, a really sharp, wry sense of humor and a lot of things. I guess there was yeah. controversy for a long time that uh, that Tim and, and his wife were, uh, they were also a, a brother and sister or something, right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> now, I hear rumors that it was their manager that made up this story and right. took it to the press. But uh, but yeah, uh, the Sunday Sport, which is kind of a, it's a bit. I think in America you have like the National Enquirer, right? And the Sunday Sport, it's just it was the tabloid paper that had a massive readership in the eighties, 
Um, but it was all made up. It was nonsense. It was like, right. you know, it was right, like right, right. Elvis has been spotted on the moon, that kind of thing. Yeah. But there was this particular headline and it's like, uh, you know, what's what's next in the world of rock? It appears to be incest. Uh. And they, they played up to it. They played you it up, right? Video, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they played it up. If you play, if you watch the video to uh, Tard and Feathered and, and Tim's like kissing uh, Sarah and uh, everything, and, and but they wouldn't really deny the fact that, that they were brother and sister when actually they were obviously just man and wife. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it did bring them some quite quite a lot of attention at the time, uh, relatively, right. you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I saw, I was reading uh, reviews. Like I said, they were, um, you know, very mixed reviews. Obviously, at the time, I think NME, one of the writers at NME, gave him a, like a real scathing review of this. Because basically, Ooh, yeah. just putting it down just because it's not, you know, it was so different and, you know, prog yeah. using it as a... As a um, yeah. But but one thing I read that I thought was really great because someone uh, they commented that one cardiac song contains more ideas than most other musicians' entire careers, and that's really I think true. That's true, it is really true. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and and before we get into the record, one thing I just want to say, and 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 this is what I feel: this type of album, you either have to be all in, all into yeah. it, or else the whole thing's just going to seem uh, ridiculous. And yeah, 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 and I will say, Richard, that I I was all in. I started listening to this, and I'm getting oh, it, and I became all in. <laughs> oh, fantastic! That's great news because you never know with this. I, I've had 37 years of trying to be evangelical about cardiacs, but really, for a long time, probably until the internet arrived, when I realised there were other fans out there. For a long time, I felt like the only man shouting on the hill, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can totally. People, yeah, a yeah. lot of people, I would be like, oh, what do you think to this? And they'd be like, eh, I don't know. It's a bit wacky. It's a right. bit, you know, <laughs> crazy. But, you know, a few friends did come on board. But oh, um, good. Okay. what I would say is there are two songs that I thought of that, that almost prepared me for being able to get on board with Cardiacs. One of them was XTC's first album, and especially the track Cross Wires. Okay. <laughs> Dead Kennedy's track, Ill in the Head, which has a very cardiac smoothie. Oh, thing. yes, you're right. They grow very wide. They grow very tall. And it's just like, I've heard this before. Where have I heard this? And I remember <laughs> Dead Kennedy's. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, there's two of the things that perhaps made it so that when I first heard them, I knew I had a, a kind of a reference. You had point. some reference, some touchstone yeah. reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's great. And and I will just say, uh, you know, obviously the nature of the show, we're not playing the entire songs, but just I'm playing, you yeah. know, clips. But a lot of times, well, this a clip's not going to do it complete justice. No. I'll, I'll try and put in other parts of the songs as we go through that, yeah, you right. know, in the episode because it's just there's so much that goes on. In a, in well, a this minute. is it, and actually after nominating this one and I was listening through it doing my homework and I was thinking this is I'm gonna Rob's gonna have trouble here choosing yeah, yeah. a favourite <laughs> bit you know there's a lot there's a lot and what one song starts like 
often it's nothing like it by the end. Exactly. Well, we'll, we'll listen to the most mostly the beginnings of songs, but I'll also uh, pepper in as we talk. You know, part you, you really? have to with this band. You just have to because each yeah. some of these songs are just like little albums in in and of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. All right, but let's get uh, the opening track. The album starts out. Let's listen to a little bit of Little Man and a House. Leaving early just before the hour. A few moments won't make any difference. Not to me, anyway. So, right, I, I like how to start, you know, I, I could have just started the clip when he starts singing, but you, you need the whole, you know, yeah. theatricality of the intro and yeah. the way it does. It really, a lot of this does sound like, um, like theatrical showpieces in this. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, in the stage show, really, really hammered that home with, uh, you know, the confetti cannons and the, at the end, uh, the consultant who was there kind of... Um, uh, shadowy kind of character that was controlling the ABC. <laughs> he 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 was like seen as like, he dressed like a cinema manager, and he'd come on stage with Miss Swift, who would pop champagne bottles like they just won the Formula One race, you know. And uh, he'd kind of like come on with balloons and champagne and confetti everywhere. So it was it was it was definitely felt like part of a show seeing them live, right? Um, but yeah, but this track, it's uh, it really encapsulates that feeling on a Sunday night. If you go into a job you hate in the morning, uh, you know it's like somebody working in a factory or something with all those hissing sounds and the yes, almost like it's, it's almost like the sounds in a Razorhead or or the Elephant Man, where um, you've got that kind of creepy Victorian factory sort of sounds going on, right? You know, yeah. in the background. And that's a little motif that pops up throughout the album, really. Yeah, it does. And and, and that's the one thing that I think uh, that I really got out of this is that there is a loose theme about just, you know, uh, you know, someone that's like a, a, a worker drone going in there, but sort of striving to, to push past that and to get past that. And he's and when he says yeah. there's and there's voices inside me, they're screaming, they're telling me that's the way we all go. There's thousands of people just like me all over, but that's the way we all go. Yeah, there's sort of like a, a universal thing going uh, going on through the entire uh, record that that's really uh, that's really great. And it's kind of sort of hopeful and inspiring in a way, even though all all this like weird shit's going on too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, this this song is a re-recording of a song off the previous album, The Seaside. Oh, okay. And, uh, and on the Seaside Treats video, this track is on it. It's a different version, but it's effectively the same arrangement and everything. 
And uh, the film actually looks just like it's been filmed uh, Eraserhead style, you know. Um, oh, right, right. It's, it's very David Lynch, the way it looks, the way it feels. And he's kind of writhing around in bed, depressed. He's got to get up in the morning and go to work, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, so we get to the second song. Now, this one, In a City Lining, this was, as I said, this is kind of like an epic, like one of the, there's a couple of epic, I feel like, on the record. This is yeah. definitely one. This, this is, again, this song has so many, like, twists and turns and movements. It could almost, we could, we could have done an episode just on this song, In a City Lining. You're right, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's let's, definitely. you know, let's just dive in as much as we can. Let's listen to the beginning of In a City Lining. Yeah, like I said, it's like a five-plus-minute song, so there's more. There's other movements that come in. At one point, oh, yeah. he's talking about he's got characters. Michael's got himself a girlfriend. He's a lucky fellow. Katie's top was... Yeah, I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah. yeah, there's there's a lot going on. There is. There is. There's, there's, a point, there's a point around two minutes when it suddenly goes into a scar beat. Yes, yes. And uh, it sounds like uh, early madness or something like that. Um, and there's, there's a bit with Bill's fairground organ goes in waltz time at one point. Yep. I think it's about the 154 minute uh, mark. And uh, yeah, he's just suddenly on waltz time. Uh, so he does for that. I love the intro because I love that that big guitar riff going, on, going through there. Yeah, yeah, there, there are. It's funny. There, there for for people that are just uh, that just want to grab onto the more rock, uh, you know, rock elements of bands, or you know, that need some. Uh, touchstone there are that yeah. throughout the record there's some great i mean there's uh yeah. there's some great uh, guitar work like you said some great guitar sound some of it metal you know you could say a yeah. lot of it veers into yeah, yeah. metal uh as they got further down down in the sort of existence the latter um sing to god album double album there's a lot of metal in that one in particular oh, okay. by which point they were, they were a four piece but this is this is the sort of if you like in inverted commas the classic lineup the six piece band, but later on they did get more riffy more metally, but still very much sounded like them and right. no one else really. Okay, so you have Tim Tim Smith the, the main uh, you know the main songwriter uh, singer. Yeah. So his uh, brother Jim Smith uh, was playing bass yeah. and guitar and singing as well, right? Yeah, that's right. He's uh, he's the bass player, uh, the much put upon Jim Smith, and uh, the crowd used to taunt him mercilessly. Uh, Tim <laughs> Tim would bully him and pull his hair, y- yank his yank his uh, tie and pull him over to the front and like demand that the audience start chanting his name. 
yeah, it was. I mean, it was all it was all show. He was apparently they love each other dearly, loved right. each other dearly. Oh, that's and, nice. Uh, Everyone I hear talk about Tim, and uh, they just say how wonderful he was as a human being, you know. Oh, that's but nice. the stage persona was of a very mischievous and sometimes manic um, uh, despot who would, like, oh, that's just good. drag band members, you know, kick the piano player in the back and things like that, it, it, you know. Uh, but it was all done, you know, in a very warm way. In a warm way, so yeah. they were they were the opposite of like Liam uh, Liam Gallagher and Noel Gallagher or Ray and Dave Davies. <laughs> yeah. The opposite of that, where they really truly yeah. hate, hated each other. Oh yeah, no, I think there was a lot of <laughs> a lot of love within the band. I mean, even when band members left uh, for whatever reason, um, they always still speak spoke very highly of Tim, and and uh, they you know they would always come back. Like Sarah would periodically come back and play sax okay. at certain gigs and. So even though they were no longer a married couple, she would still appear at gigs and, you know. Well, yeah, they were, they were still a brother and sister, though. So, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Can't let, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you have uh, William Drake, I guess, on uh, keyboards and yeah. uh, Dominic Luckman drums. Great, uh, great drums throughout uh Amazing drummer, yeah. Yeah, really yeah. To, to play some of these uh, songs that are like, some of them are, are so intricate. There's so much going on. Um, yeah. All right. But so this next one, Is This uh, the Life? This is one where I feel like it, it's a lot of these songs are arranged very strangely. Like this one is basically verses. It almost doesn't have a chorus. And if it does, it's like right towards the end, just a quick chorus. But then it's got this soul, this outro guitar solo that's like amazing. Let's, I'm, I, I got to play a little of that, but let's listen to the beginning of it yeah. first because th- this is really a great song. Let's listen to a little bit yeah. of Is This the Life? Yeah, so this song was big for them, right? This was kind of like their, yeah. their big hit song. This is the closest they ever got to having a hit. It was uh, in the indie indie chart top 10 and the national chart. I think it reached number 80. It was, And it was also played on daytime Radio 1 by this DJ Gary Davis, who was a Radio 1 DJ, uh, one of the few that didn't end up in prison. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he was more known as fairly middle-of-the-road DJ. And I think he just picked on, up on it because around that time in 87, uh, 85, 86, 87, he'd had big, big rock songs like The Cult, She Sells Sanctuary and 
the, a couple of the bigger sort of bigger U2 songs or something like that that had a big riff going through it. Right. And I'm thinking that he just picked up on that. Um, yeah, and yeah, because he, if he, he didn't got, know... He got national radio, you know. Yeah, if you didn't know any other songs with him and just heard this, this does sound like an 80, you know, a band maybe in the late 80s yeah. that had that big rock sound. And uh, yeah, I just got, let's listen a little. I got to play a little of the guitar solo at the end because it's just, that, like I said, it yeah. does this little chorus part and then we, we got to listen to a little of this. It's great. some great guitar playing and you know um richard one thing else i was thinking of it, it uh he reminded me of a little bit of uh, captain sensible's playing and i was thinking in a way you yeah. know damned like strawberries um phantasmagoria error damned i could see similarities too in some of this yeah definitely i, I hear that as well captain sensible's really underrated as a guitarist isn't he oh yeah and i think he tim is. smith i think tim smith is as well actually he's just he's He's, he's really, really adept at being able to do uh, some amazing things. Um, I mean, it, to me, this this one, actually, this guitar solo, it's almost um, Neil Young, like a hurricane yes. territory. Yes. You right. know, when Neil Young just goes off on one with Crazy Horse and he just improvises, and, and it, it's always reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, and Dominic's really hitting the drums hard on this one. It's like a proper rock anthem, isn't it? Really? <laughs> uh, you know, for, right. for for a band for a band that you kind of don't really think immediately of as doing the sort of more straightforward. I mean, it isn't straightforward. It has its it has its moments that are completely unique. But of all the tracks on the album, this is probably the one you would play to someone who would have no idea what they're. I mean, I often wonder if it was, it was a relatively small hit, how many people bought the album on the back of this great rock track? Right, and then said, oh, and what then the like, fuck is all this other shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, uh, hang on, who's pushing a Salvation Army band down a metal staircase? What's yeah. going on? You know? um, so, but, uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, I'd love to know how many people bought the album based just on this track. Right. Um, but it is brilliant. It is brilliant. I think some Cardiacs purists, they're a bit, oh, it's, it's too straightforward. It's, it's, you know, it's too popular. It's too straightforward. Oh, right, right, but, right, right. No, I, I, I'd like to think they're in the minority. I think most of the fans uh, absolutely love this one. 
It's great. And also, uh, I wanted to mention that you can, luckily, back in the day, like when you saw them, 88 and stuff, people had were recording them live. And they did it. And there's some great transfers from VHS to like the yeah. video of them live. And they were great, man. Such such oh, great. Right. And, and a lot of these live things, they sound great. And it's just, it's really great. So it's definitely worth uh, seeking out. Live yeah, I mean, I'm old enough to have seen a lot of great bands over the years, but it, no one came close to Cardiac's live for me. Uh, okay. it, it was just the whole the whole thing. They 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 could just stop on a sixpence, you know. They could stop, interact with the crowd, and then pick up exactly where they left off, even right. whilst playing this this quite complex stuff, you know. Oh, and I should say that you we're we're doing the original album track list here. Yes, some yeah, people. Right might think because the they added a track called eating in, Eat, eating in bed before is this the life on the cd so if there's anyone who's only got the cd they'll be like hey why are you doing that right right right, right. Why are you doing yeah, this I, life? <laughs> we're, we're doing the actual album as it was as it came out we are we didn't even discuss it beforehand but you're right that's no. what we're doing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um all right so track four is just a interlude just a nice little musical interlude i'll play it i'll actually i'm probably going to play it in the opening of the episode actually it's nice i read okay. somewhere he said that he wrote it when he was really young but I, that's probably i have a feeling he would say a lot of things that maybe weren't true I don't know. I mean, I've heard that he was 13 when he wrote this. Right. That, that's now, what I read. Which it, could it be, is, you know. It is, it is possible because I know um, a lot of these tracks, like, I mean, for example, Is This the Life? It, there's a version of that on Toy World, which came out in 81. So I oh, think wow. I think he would have only been, I mean, I'm no good at mental arithmetic, but I think he would have <laughs> only been like 19 or 20 or something at the time. Oh, okay. Um, so it is very so, possible. So it's possible. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's possible that interlude was written as when he was a teenager, but, um, I, I don't know. There's no way for me to corroborate that. Right. All right. So, uh, this next one, uh, dive, man, what a great opening. You got the hello and then it just kicks right in. It's off to the races, oh, yeah. but there's some really interesting stuff to talk about this song, uh, lyrically, but let's listen to the uh, beginning of die. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, man, this is so great. But I, I know there are people that would just get turned off by this. Just turned yeah, off yeah. by it. <laughs> yeah. This is their most punky song, I think, on this album. Um, there's a bit. There's a couple more on the seaside that are of, of this similar kind of frantic uh, speed. Right. But that riff at the start is very pistolsy. It's very damned, like you said before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just something about it that's really, really punky. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, but like you said, the lyrics in this, this is some great. Okay, some great all right. Things. So yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about because 1988, this came out. Whatever, it was probably written sooner, yeah. but you know, before that. But aside from the reference to Anna Ford, which I only know because I Googled her, I guess she was a yeah. TV presenter, news, news reader. News reader. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anna Ford hammers a, a post into a cup of mud, claiming it's the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the whole, yeah, the whole ending bridge where he says, uh, life is bad. So we are led to believe bad news makes money, uh, money's, uh, world go round. Anna Ford hammers, uh, a post into a cup of mud claiming it is the ground. Really? Then anything is better than that is better than watching your fake news win in the end. Uh, but now yeah. it's my turn, man. That could have been written last week. I know. I know. It's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like, you know, it, it's it's very prescient, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it really exactly is. like what people are talking about a lot now. I mean, you know, when when uh, people like Trump started going on about fake news and things, yeah, exactly. Thinking, where have I heard that before? I know, I know where I've heard that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't even know fake news even was a thing back in eighty eight. I don't think it was. Um, I I feel like we didn't know about it till the, the like you said, Trump sort of. We started yeah, talking about it, but I mean, that's uh, yeah. Probably. I just, I was just probably blown just away. Yeah, I was yeah, blown yeah, away when is. I saw that. <laughs> he also throws in the grand old Duke of York at one point, so there's a nursery rhyme in there as well. Oh, okay, but, okay. Um, I mean, lyrically, he had all sorts of influences like William Blake, Lewis Carroll, Edward Lear, T.S. Eliot, uh, Moby Dick. He he took lots of bits out of Moby Dick, uh, Melville's novel. Uh, so there's the, there was a lot of... Um, you didn't know they were references, or I certainly didn't. And it took it took once again it took the internet age for me to for me to be able to find where he got a lot of these ideas from. Right. But he would kind of cut and paste quotes and things like that. So they, when you read them on the lyric sheet, they might not make perfect sense all the time, but they fit the music so well and add to the surreal nature of the kind of uh, atmosphere around the band. Yes. Yeah, perfectly said. Uh, exactly. I feel the same way. Um, all right. So this next one, the icing on the world, I feel like especially like the chorus of it is kind of like him, Tim Smith's like sort of manifesto, if you will, or, or a, a summation of like of, of his world outlook. It's great. And it's just a great song. Too. Let's listen to a little bit of the icing on the world.
Yeah, he's just he's got a very theatrical way of delivering things, which I know, like I said, I'm, I'm sure it would turn some people off, but I just think it, it's so yeah. perfect for how he's delivering things. And yeah, what I was we didn't get to it, but the chorus where he says, "Look, I know everything. Knowledge forms the best of me. After all I've done, don't blame me. No, not all the time. I put the icing on the world." I feel like that's him. You know that that's him. Yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I've never really thought of it like that before, but yeah, it is, it is a great one lyrically as well, this one. Yeah, because you could tell he's he's really smart. He's super smart, super intelligent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, really is. Um, I mean, um, I think, and, but he also, he, he kind of, he can kind of um, switch it around and, and he'll almost like criticise himself uh, when he says, um, uh, seen as how the sun shines out of my ass. And he's like basically almost saying, like, yes, what I'm saying here is clever. Yeah. But <laughs> oh, yes. It, I, now I sound like I'm showing off kind of thing. Yes. But yes, um, yes. I think what I like about Icing on the World as well is uh, they used to start gigs with it and that big tub thumping, big bass, doom, doom. That was like a re- real atmosphere built building thing. I believe, yeah, I believe they, they have a live, uh, they have a live record, and I think that is the the first song on it, right? I was just listening yes. to it earlier. It was the yeah. first song, uh, the first gig I saw by them. It was the oh, first nice. gig that first one that night, and I think it was for most of that tour actually. Um, but anyway, yeah, but yeah, on the live album, it, it starts off, yeah. Yep, it's great. Um, all right, so the uh, breakfast line maybe uh, it's 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 funny to say one of the strangest songs on an album because it's an album of a lot of strange songs, but this I think is one of the strangest ones because if yeah if if a music could be classified as having a disassociative identity disorder, which is uh, multiple per- <laughs> they used to call it multiple personality disorder, now they call yeah. it disassociative. This would be it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And in fact, this, this contains the the only bit on the album that I'm not that keen on. And I'll tell you what it is after, if you want. Okay, yep, but, yep. Um, yeah, let's listen to a little bit of the book. Is this Yeah, and it, and it also has a really kind of strange but uh, really uh, interesting musical outro to it again, which we didn't get up to, but I'll play a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the outro is one of the best things on the whole album, I think. It's, it's great, like, yeah. It's I think very, uh, from 220, there's this big guitar and sax sort of duo going yes. on. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and the strings as well, the strings that come in, you heard a little bit of them in that bit. Right. Um, they're just immaculate, really, really great. Um, and the only bit I'm not keen on is... It's the bit where he says Toto the breakfast line and that 
something about the way it's phrased, just for me, it's a little bit too music hall vaudeville, ah. kind, of Gilbert, <laughs> kind of a Gilbert and Sullivan kind of right. Pirates of Penzance vibe. And I don't know why I've never got my head around that little that's bit. <laughs> but one tiny bit in a whole album of genius. Well, that's okay. Like. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. There is, I mean, the whole thing, <laughs> what I was going to say, Richard, this, it, it is very uh, British, all of this. The the, yeah. the the humor and the cleverness is very British, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And I think being a big XTC fan, uh, I know that they were an influence. And uh, you can hear that in many, many examples throughout their career, really. Uh, but is that the, I think Tim Smith and Andy Partridge they have a similar worldview in that they're looking at things in a different way yes. all the time. Right. Uh, and musically, there's a lot of interesting, complex, and, and just unique things in both bands, you know. But the ending of Breakfast Line, as we said before, is just epic. And it is. It's epic. It's a thrilling. It's like it's really simple. thrilling. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have a little of that playing. Um, all right, so the next one, uh, Victory Egg, kind of like an allegory, uh, like an allegory of a song uh, dealing with, with war, I, I think mostly, which yeah. a lot of that, there, there, are, there are a lot of war themes, right, throughout? Yeah, there are, through, through, through a couple of their albums, yeah, there's yeah. usually uh, there's references to World War One. I. I think he must have been into the literature around that or maybe the poetry. But uh, yeah, they are. They are. There, there are several war things uh, mentioned in there, which uh, appeals to me. I'm a bit of a history nerd. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. And it's and it's funny because a lot of them, I guess, more and also more World War One, not even World War Two, but they're like going. Back yeah, to absolutely. World War One. Yeah, I. definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, this one doesn't. It's also interesting because it doesn't have a traditional verse chorus, which a lot of their done. It's more sort of like an allegory. But let's listen to a little bit of Victory Egg. What's there to lose, said the general, selling a dead meat by the pound. Accidents of existence will make us all feel duty-bound to send along their one or to pursue a new curriculum. With stinky fingers takes a chair, a door is opened up for me, I think again and then decline. The need be not so great if I'll descend in perfect peace of mind. The childish dreams a matter of necessity I almost threw myself to the point of my life's expectancy I'll break off all your charms as well Her egg will burst and will arrive A man who calls his own Do you think it's so good to be alive? Says if these are the best What are the rest to be like? As for me I struggle with words and wisdom Accusing it's you, it's me, it's him you see For all I know it's coming yeah, you know, something I, I noticed that you had uh, touched on before, it's a different experience reading the lyrics. Like, you could find online the lyrics and reading them as opposed to hearing them uh, delivered. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, definitely. He, Yeah, he has a way of delivering them a lot of times where they're uh, staccato is delivery, and it, and it, and it sounds uh, differently than when you're just reading it, you know? And, uh, yeah. yeah, sometimes I had to go back and say, wait, did, did I read the lyrics? And, uh, yeah, so uh, just, yeah, very interesting. I think a lot of times, it, it, and again, it's very theatrical. He's using the words, you know, just sort of get, uh, get a, a feeling across and emotions across, even if the words maybe don't all, like you said, almost uh, cut and paste, it seems, at times. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh, sometimes it, he will start one phrase sounding almost childlike and innocent, 
and then he'll turn, he'll flip it, and the way he sings it, suddenly he sounds annoyed or pissed yes, off in right. some way. <laughs> and uh, he's like, yes. you're like thinking, you know, uh, I can't think of an example right now. Perhaps it'll come to me before the end. But uh, oh yeah, it's it's on the the last track, which we'll get to, uh, where he suddenly sounds quite angry when he says um, all of this hissing noise. Oh yeah, and uh, he starts off really innocently, you know. Uh, and I think he does that a lot. Yeah, there's definitely L, uh, as like uh, as sometimes um, clever and as uh, amusing as some of this thing. There's a sinister undercurrent to a lot going on, which uh, right. Devo. I always love that about Devo too, because Devo would seem like you know, you know, sort of. Uh, over the top and and like it's very jokey but then there was also like a sinister underbelly to it all which is yeah. which is interesting and i, I see that yeah a lot like that. yeah yeah there's a lot of darkness around yes. cardiacs in, in the sense <laughs> of like you know, just a lot of the imagery used and and uh you know uh, especially when they're in the phase of wearing kind of makeup and tatty outfits and stuff oh that's right yeah i saw some of that that that's yeah. great yeah that that stuff's crazy yeah <laughs> it's really great. i mean i wonder how long they'd have kept that up i'm not sure but i, I, I believe they got those bandsmen's uniforms uh stolen after a gig oh really and, uh, but uh whoever got them my god they must have absolutely stank because they played so many gigs <laughs> dressed like that <laughs> but uh and i think but i wonder i wonder if it was a relief for the band when it got to a certain point, they were like, oh, we don't have to dress up anymore. We right. Can just wear out, you know. <laughs> All right. So, RES, that's so you kind of answered a thing. So, you said RES could, because I'm one, because I was like, why did they call it that? But the, yeah. Residence. Well, I thought for years, I had no idea for years and years. I was like, what does RES stand for? Right. You know, and I was trying to try and figure out my own anacronyms of what it could mean. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, once again, it wasn't until. The Facebook group I joined, and suddenly someone was talking about RES, and they said, "Oh, yeah, of course, it's named after residents." And I was like, "Really? Is it?" <laughs> and, then, and then they said, "Oh, yeah, the act of being polite." And I, I went to YouTube, heard it, I was like, "Aha!" I found her crying in the morning, sitting in a chair. She was wrapping something up and wrapping it with care. It, this is one of the more nagging riffs that. I think would put a lot of people off cardio. Oh my God. The cadence, the, the cadence of this song throughout with all the stop starts, it's yeah. impressive as hell, but yeah, it kind of gives the effect of sort of uh, throwing you off guard, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And how they kept up, especially the rhythm section, how they kept that going is just, it's beggars belief really, you know, it's, it's great. And, and what it's also great for Tim, Tim Quai's percussion. He was like the percussionist and he did keyboards and stuff as well as William. Uh, but he mostly was hitting uh, metal and uh, what they called those chime bars and things and triangles right, and right, stuff right, like that. Right. He do all the percussion at the back and uh, uh, you hear a lot of him on this as well. Uh, so that's good. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's just so impressive. But again, I suppose it's something that's going to make the, this is the type of thing that's going to make people either love them or hate them. And what you have to do at some point is you've got to play the guitar solo. Because for me, this is probably in my top five, if not top three guitar solos ever. And it comes from nowhere. Right. You're just, just about getting to the point where you're thinking, okay, this is getting a bit annoying now. And then suddenly it goes on this virtuoso <laughs> movement. And then you, you hit with this amazing, like almost, I guess, Sapper-esque kind of rock solo. 
and uh, it's, it's it's just brilliant i think yeah so well done it is agreed all right let's do a little bit of res That's great. And then, yeah, and you're right. There is this uh, interlude, this musical that's like bonkers, this bonkers musical interlude. Yeah. And then you get that really, uh, again, like a glorious outro, which they do a lot. Yeah, in, which is great. yeah they do. Yeah, it's, it's, one of, it's one of the fans' favorites, this. Uh, and once again, this, is, this was a re-recording of a, of a, a track that was on the seaside. And uh, the seaside version on YouTube, you can watch. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty manic, but very enjoyable. Yeah. And then at the end, I like how he revisits, you know, there's thousands of people just like me all over, but that's the way we all go. And it's kind of... Yeah, from the first track, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of hopeful. It has like a hopeful, you know, even though uh, yeah. obviously he's railing against, you know, you know, war and the chaos of life, but there is also like a little hopeful thing. Yeah, there's, there is always a glimmers of hope in their music, definitely, uh, and a lot of anthemic moments where where it really kind of brings brings people together. I can't really explain it, but there's a there's kind of a very um, communal sort of vibe at their gigs where everyone's kind of uh, just really swept up in it emotionally, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that's nice. That's great. And yeah, I, I got that just from the little, just from checking out videos online. It, obviously, the people that are going to see them are people that love them and are real fans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right, so you got the the whole world window is the dramatic, like somber. It's kind of a somber uh, closer. It is, yeah. Very emotional song. This, uh, I think, it's really uh, there's a real melancholy there. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. it is. And then also, but you said this is the one you're talking about. There's uh, there's some anger in there still. And there's some like, you oh, know, yeah. it's kind of uh, yeah, schizophrenic yeah. in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a really nice little Beatlesy kind of uh, Strawberry Fields Forever, like a mellotron bit. Uh, it's just a two two or three notes. Uh, I've written down in my notes that it comes in at 0.39. So if you listen out for that. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Beatles because I thought at some point we have to, because it, it's so funny, no matter how you, you get, you know, the musicians, they have their influences, but you could still tell, you go, oh, okay, they're also huge yeah. Beatles fans and he's a huge Beatles fan. I think so. And it's also, it, it's also because he, they're using a Mellotron on that part and it's just, you hear a Mellotron, you instantly think of Strawberry, strawberry Fields. fields and, exactly. You know, uh, <laughs> All right, so uh, I think that's part of it. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's listen to the uh, dramatic closer, The Whole World Window. 
It's just a funny word that hides me out of sight. And I will stay with her all through the day and through the night. And if she only had stopped making that hissing noise, that haunts me now and makes a joke of me with all the other boys. And, uh, and yeah, and also, like we said, it has, I, I will play underneath the uh, outro because again, they have, they have really great outros, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do. They, all, they often spiral off somewhere else completely. Um, I mean, in this one, it, at the very end, you can hear clips of other songs from the album. Yes, or phrases yes, right, just right. being repeated, uh, lyrically at least, and you'll hear little bits. And you, yeah, you hear the whole band talking uh, and getting, you know, recorded in the end of the song and then at the very end uh, you hear a car engine driving away and uh, that always makes you think of Minutemen's Double Nickels on the Dime with uh, D Boom's Car Jam you know oh right, um, right, right. but uh, yeah because it's not that often you hear a car engine trundling away on an album <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, this was great like I said something totally I was unfamiliar with which I'm sure a lot of other great. people will be unfamiliar with as well and I think it's a great a discovery a great find like, well I'm hoping that even if we only get one or two fans new fans uh, into Cardiacs from this then that's mission accomplished as far as I'm concerned oh yeah for sure and like I said you can go to Bandcamp I mean we didn't mention the sad thing is that Tim uh, Tim Smith is no longer yeah. with us yeah it's a really sad uh, uh, um, yeah he, he passed away after a very long illness 12 years he had uh, he, he had a heart attack coming back from a Mad Valentine gig in 2008 I think it was and um, very sadly it left him um, paralysed and uh, he he had uh, a lot of care I mean what was amazing was they did a, um, a fundraiser crowdfunder crowdfundraising campaign and they asked for initially for 40 40 thousand pounds and and that was met within the first day oh wow and then they increased it to so i think you know they thought oh this was to provide care for a year um but very sadly um he unfortunately didn't recover and uh, he passed away after a, a second heart attack i think it was 2020 um so uh, yeah, it was it was a very sad time, but um, but you know uh, the other band members have, have continued to fly the flag uh, for Cardiacs in, in various online forums and so on, and there's a lot of tribute shows um, and uh, ga- fan gatherings. Um, uh, in fact, there's one uh, coming up this year which I'm going to up in Leeds. Uh, and uh, yeah, they have ex-members playing in other other bands like Spratly's Japs, um, kind of connected bands that are connected directly to Cardiacs um, will play at these events. So I think you know the family kind of the family of fans and band are still very close and keep keep his name alive, you know, and his legacy in one place. Yeah, that's great. And I and I just 
I, I would say if you liked what you heard, uh, some of what you heard here, definitely go to the Bandcamp, Cardiacs, check it out. There's tons of, uh, you know, of, of stuff on there you can get, and, and it's all really good. I've, I've been diving in, and, and it's great. I didn't hear anything I didn't like. So, Fantastic. Uh, it's good Great stuff. news. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, all right, so, Richard, you got the Sun Charms, you said, are still going on? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we had an album out, um, sort of, I think it came out in October, um, so uh, that's an album uh, that we worked on over the last sort of year and a half, two years. Before that, we had uh, an album called Distant Lights. Uh, this current one's called Things Lost. Um, we're kind of, um, there's no cardiacs in Sun Charms, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> any fans, any cardiac fans listening to this, they'll be like, uh, if they check us out, they'll hear. It's kind of an indie with a, a, a sprinkling of shoegaze, I guess. Okay, um, nice. And uh, where's but, the best place? Uh, yeah. uh, where can they check it oh, out? Oh, we're on Bandcamp as well. Yeah, we've got oh, our own Bandcamp page. And there's uh, a label in Chicago called Sunday Records, and they're the label that put out our recent releases. Really? Um, Look at you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Manchester, a label. a label all the way in Chicago. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It came on the back of a compilation album of our early stuff. Um, which a label called Cloudberry, uh, and I think they were based in New York. Um, they put that together, and then that got the attention of Sunday Records, who put out our reformed albums. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it's it, it's uh, it's nice to still be doing music at, at this age. You know, it's great. To keep it, hand in. It's so uh, I always tell people, you know what? If you're still, if you if you guys, if 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 your bandmates are still alive. Get together and play again. Why not yeah. do it? Because I yeah. know I, uh, from experience, I you know, was in a band many years. My best friend uh, passed away like 12 years ago, and I can't make music with him anymore. You know, and, uh, yeah, and it's a shame. So when, if you can, uh, you know, any old grievances, get over them and, uh, and play with your, with your mates. Well said. Yes. Uh, don't forget, everyone, you could follow us on Instagram and Facebook. It's at That Record Got Me High. On X, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com. You can find me everywhere except Spotify, as we said. But uh, most importantly, if you want to become a patron of the show, uh, it's really fun. We do these patron-curated episodes, and you can participate. Just go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh. I'd appreciate it. Richard, once again, this was great. Thanks for coming on, and thanks, Richard. I had a, uh, I had a postpone a week last week. I wasn't feeling good, and I put him, uh, I said, can we do it a week later? And you'll find so I appreciate it. No problem. And thanks so much for having me on. No worries. We'll do it again. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Rob Elba. We'll see you all next week. Oh, yeah,